The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. Now joining us for the week trending, Orla Ryan, news correspondent with the journal.ie and of course one of the most familiar voices on this programme, the man who usually does the 5 at 5 and 6 at 6, but we've asked him to do the week trending today. Ben Finnegan is with us as well. So, look... World Cup, I know it's not of interest to some people who are not into football, but there's lots of not non-football dimensions that we do need to discuss as well. And let's start with that. Orla, what did you make of the German footballers covering their mouths in protest at FIFA not allowing their captain wear a one-love armband? Well, I think it was probably a good move on their behalf. It's it's quite a minor gesture in the grand scheme of things, but it's better than doing nothing. Obviously, um, Germany and a number of other European teams are going to wear the One Love armband. And then at the 11th hour, FIFA said, well, you can wear that, but you'll get a, a yellow card and you'll actually get that in the dressing room before you go out onto the pitch. So if you go onto the pitch wearing it, it's technically a second offence, so to speak. So you could have further sanctions. So the German team said, well, we need to do something that's, that's visual, that will go viral. They chose to put their hands on their mouths. They said, afterwards it was kind of I suppose a pretty obvious gesture of saying well you told us to shut up so we're saying yeah we're here but our mouths have been shut and we don't agree with what Qatar uh, thinks about uh, gay people in particular women a lot of issues so I think it was a minor gesture but better than nothing other teams have yet to do anything. I wonder though Ben how many people know that Germany signed a special energy agreement with Qatar last May for the supply of liquid nitrogen gas. Yeah, there seem to be a lot of uh, deals like that that happened over the last couple of years. And look, the world is full of hypocrisy, but it wasn't those 11 players who signed that deal. And those No, but are- is it unfair then to start putting the pressure on sports people to make stands when their governments of their countries are doing business as normal with Qatar and other Middle Eastern regimes? Well, I'm not responsible for what the Irish state does. So, you know, if... like. It, you have your principles and you should stick to your principles. These players and the associations from the seven European countries said repeatedly since September that they were going to wear this armband and FIFA said it's a yellow card if you do it and then they very very quickly backed down. And I just questioned kind of what kind of message does that send to young people around the world who may be questioning their sexuality and struggling with it and love football, it really sends a message that maybe football isn't for you and it isn't as inclusive as it claims to be. Like, it's really FIFA at the end of it all, which is the villain here. FIFA came out and they've ran inclusivity campaigns over the years, anti-racism campaigns, and they were the ones two hours before England took to the field and said, we're not okay with this now because... And and then they sold it as you're not going to be wearing a FIFA uh, endorsed armband and it claimed it was nothing to do with the the rainbow when it was. And when fans going into the ground, if they have wearing rainbow hats or rainbow t-shirts, were literally having the clothes taken off their back until today, apparently, that was supposed to stop at the Wales-Iran game today, that fans could wear what they wanted. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure that did actually materialise like a lot of promises, but um, it was interesting as well the other day, seemingly if, um, officials were targeting in particular women who were wearing the rainbow, um, you know, bucket hats and t-shirts and stuff like that, that they targeted a few men as well, but it was primarily women that they went up to, which also hints on another... 
uh, I guess, important point of um, how women are treated in Qatar. Um, so it's uh, they were meant to stop it from today's games, but apparently there's reports again of more people being stopped going in today that they're taking off their hats or their armbands or their you know their t-shirts if they have rainbows on them that they're saying that that's a quote unquote political statement. Fans are just saying it's just a rainbow, but obviously you know they've been warned if anyone's wearing a rainbow, ask them to take it off. Like I've 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 I found myself reacting way more stronger to this story than I ever thought I actually would because I'm not a member of the LGBTQ plus community. Ireland isn't at the World Cup, but on Monday I just kind of felt despair and kind of disgust at the seven nations for saying repeatedly that they were going to do this, they were going to take a stand, and then. It was just, it was a gesture and that's all it was ever going to be. And then they couldn't even go through with the gesture. They couldn't even go through with it. And imagine, Matt, the photos, if Harry Kane did get a yellow card wearing the armband. Like there was a a great photo I saw uh, this week of the Germany interior minister in the stands, Nancy Faser, wearing the armband and in the background was Gianni Infantino. Like that, that is the stand that the players should be taking. And like, I don't, I don't not think that Harry Kane is a principled man and doesn't believe in this sort of thing, but follow through on it. No, well, Gareth Southgate said, well, we might do something yet, but we don't know what that something is. But they did take the knee, which I suppose Mm. was a gesture before the game. Niamh says all the teams should have stood in unison about the armbands. They would have had no World Cup if they double yellow carded every player. Well, the problem there is, is that it was only seven teams that were going to do it. And clearly teams like Iran, who were the opposition against England, were not going to wear those armbands. So you wouldn't have had a game that England had prepared no, for their but World you, Cup. No, you didn't have the Iranian team not singing the national anthem for other reasons, but potentially, you know, dealing with much more serious ramifications when they get back to Iran. So I think, you know, it would have done Harry Kane and others no harm to say, well, yeah, actually, I am going to wear the armband come what may. It's the other card at the end of at the end of the day and Harry Kane isn't a player known for getting booked anyway. Yeah, but no, he does get booked and as was pointed out, Gareth Bale, if he had been booked before the game, he got booked during the Wales-United States game which would have meant he'd have been yeah, sent Wales are out now anyway, Matt, so it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, they weren't out last Monday when they were playing. A lot of interesting comments coming in. There's a great snap of the Belgian sports minister talking to the FIFA president and stand. She's wearing the armband and pointing to it. Uh, then we have Mel and Wexford saying, when in Rome respect Qatar's beliefs. Hmm. Another one saying David Beckham is a hypocrite. Of course, we discussed that last week with the comedian Joe Lysett calling out Beckham in relation to being a gay icon and yet taking a deal to promote Qatar that apparently is worth more than 100 million quid. And uh, then we have another one here that says, why can't football be all about football? Go away with all your virtual, virtue singling nonsense. Do you not realise how ridiculous you sound? Which would all be fine, except... The staging of the event by Qatar is in itself a political gesture. It's it's ludicrous. And we had Simon Coveney yesterday saying that it's absolutely extraordinary, quote unquote, that FIFA said you can't wear the armbands. I don't know if anything FIFA does anymore is extraordinary because everything they do is extraordinary. So I think they've passed the bar for that. Um, I was watching the uh, FIFA Uncovered documentary the other night and they replayed that footage, the famous footage of when Qatar was, you know, the won the bid for the, the World Cup back in 2010. And there was an audible gasp in the room because everyone was like, how in the hell did this happen? It subsequently became quite clear how it happened. But it's it, it, you can't say, oh, take the politics out of it when, you know, there was an awful lot of politics going on behind the scenes that led to it being there in the first place. And corrupt politics. And let's hear what one of our favourite Irishmen in the UK had to say about it on ITV television this week. Players could have done it for the first game and took the punishment, whatever that might be, Kane, obviously you're risking saying if he's going to get a yellow card, if that was going to be the punishment. But that would have been a great statement. Do it for the first game if you get your yellow card. 
what a message that would have been from Cain or Bale. Take your medicine, and then the next game you move on. You don't wear it, because obviously, again, you'd want to be getting suspended. But I think it was a big mistake. I think both players, particularly, obviously, we're talking about Wales and England here, should have stuck to their guns and done it. Whatever pressure from outside and from their own associations, have the belief. If that's what you believe, then go with it. Didn't need an introduction, Roy Keane, did he? OK, of course, it could be Saudi Arabia in 2030 now, the suggestion as well, Ben. Yeah, and that seems like it's going to be more and more likely as this World Cup goes on. The first game, Gianni Infantino was sitting beside the Emir of Qatar and the other side of him was Mohammed bin Salman, who is the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. I think that Saudi bid is, they're, they're, they're selling that as the first one on three continents, Saudi Arabia, Egypt and Greece. And there's a question as well over, like, because of the beer question in, in Qatar, it's totally outlawed in Saudi Arabia. Would you be able to get a beer in Saudi Arabia if they won the bid? The, one of the ministers there said that it would be Islamophobic if they were forced to do it. Which, you know, there's two sides to every coin. You're expecting the world to come. The world expects a beer, <laughs> it can be said. But as well... You know, I can also see the argument of it is their culture, it is their laws, we have to respect them. But I think the difference between a beer not being allowed at the 2030 World Cup and the Qatar World Cup is the way it was done with Qatar. 20, 48 hours notice, they just decided, you know what? No. But if, if, if Saudi was given the, the, the World Cup tomorrow and it was said there'd be no beer in Saudi Arabia, I think everyone would be fine with that. I don't think people would be fine with it, but I think... <laughs> Especially if, if Ireland were to qualify. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can enjoy football without alcohol, but if your team is Ireland, it probably helps a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think if we knew in advance, yes, OK, we're not going to have beer at the matches in Saudi Arabia. That's one thing going into it. Um, I think there would still be uproar to to a certain degree. But I think the idea of, as you said, you know, Qatar said, yeah, it'll be grand. We'll have beer everywhere. No problem, guys. And then tw- 24 hours or 48 hours before and said, actually, no, we're not. So I think if FIFA were to grant that, that bid and say, yeah, okay, we're going to have it in these three countries, including one where alcohol cannot be served, then, you know, that's something fans now going into it, but you're dead right. It's like the fact that people, you know, had already planned or had already arrived in Qatar and then were told, okay, you can't have drinks in the stadium. So well, it's up to FIFA again. If they choose that in advance, that's something, you know, they can't act surprised even if Saudi Arabia say they will do it and then change their mind. They can't be surprised anymore. And it's pretty much a given that Saudi Arabia will be hosting it. Gianni Infantino is going to run again for FIFA president unopposed. He has made no apologies about wanting uh, the the World Cup in 2030 to go to those three countries. Okay, this listener says, FIFA and Qatar are a prime example as to why I follow rugby instead. A bad news for you, listener. The URC, the competition that the four Irish provinces play in, has signed a sponsorship agreement with Qatar and one of the plans is to bring rugby matches out to Qatar. I'll nearly lay a bet now. Well, I don't bet, but I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to have an offer of a Leinster-Munster match in Qatar at some stage in the next few years. And a lot of Irish people will go. Absolutely. Okay, we have Ben Finnegan, who of course you know from the 5 of 5 and 6 at 6, with us doing the week trending today, alongside Orla Ryan, news correspondent with the journal.ie. And I want to go to my favourite story, which is from France. 
and the so-called boring worker who refused to join weekly drinks with fellow members of staff getting awarded damages of €3,000. Orla, tell us about this story, please. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> a French worker known as Mr T, presumably not the Mr T, um, his full name has not been released, but he worked for a company called Cubic Partners and basically the company, it's a Parisian training firm and they pride themselves on being fun and young and hip. And a part of that is apparently, you know, all employees have to go out socially and drink together and do quote unquote fun things. Mr T said, that's not my idea of fun. I don't, uh, he, he no longer works for the company. Um, he was let go basically basically, because they said for numerous reasons, not just that he wouldn't socialise with his co-workers. Apparently, he was hard to work with and there were other issues, but he said it was primarily because he was, you know, just not part of the gang. He wouldn't go out drinking with them. And they said, actually, you're not really our vibe. So he's been awarded €3,000 in a French court, which is not a huge amount of money, but he's seeking another €460,000 in damages. I'm not sure how damaged he was. <laughs> Obviously, he lost his job. Not ideal, but I don't know if he's going to go on to get nearly half a million euro on the back of it. See, corporate enforced fun days and partying strikes me as a little bit of the beatings will continue until morale improves about it, doesn't it? (laughs) It does. And, you know, like they do sell themselves as a fun company, whatever that means. Um, But as Orla said, not everyone's idea of fun is going out with your co-workers who more often than not, after an eight hour day's work, you go home and Scream into, about them. scream into a pillow. Um, so they're yeah, usually... Maybe if it's once a month or once a week even, it's fine. But seemingly this sure is happening quite often. You should decide for yourself. Yeah. You know, mm. if you make friends at work, you go out with them, you socialise with them. But rather than being told that you have to do it, you're paid only to be at work, not to go and socialise afterwards. Yeah, it was 2015. It was back in 2015 when he was fired, but it's only come to court now. It's taken a few years, but he was fired on the grounds of, quote unquote, professional inadequacy. And he was described as square, board Boring, difficult to work with and a poor listener, which is, you know, quite a read, really. Now, I didn't see whether it was a free bar or not, because that would change my opinion to it. I assume it was not. Yeah. You see, if it wasn't a free bar, (laughs) then don't force me to go anywhere. Uh, But if you're offering a free bar, I will be there. Bells on. You could hardly force people to go to something where they have to pay for their own drinks, could you? What sort of company would do that? Well, they're fun, Matt. <laughs> they're, a fun impro- they're a fun company. Don't be so boring and square. Just buy some drinks. <laughs> OK, let's go to a very serious story and another mass shooting in the United States this week. Um, ben, just remind us of what happened in Colorado Springs before we get to the suspect's father. Yeah, so um, it was an attack on an LGBTQ plus bar. It killed five people, wounded 17. It's yet again another gun attack. Of the 17 people injured by the gunshot, 11 were hospitalised and officials said that those who were killed in the attack were named the other day. And it's yet again another gun attack in a part of America which would have a certain uh, voting allegiance and opinions and also religious views possibly and they seem to justify their actions with their beliefs. Tell us a little bit about the suspect and his father before we play audio, which I think a lot of people might be quite shocked by. Yeah, so the suspect is called Anderson Lee Aldrich and um, he his defence attorneys have now come out and said, well, actually, Anderson is non-binary and he uses they, them pronouns. People who know Anderson have come out and said, that's not true. He's saying that so he won't be charged with a hate crime. I think the fact that he's murdered five people will outweigh the fact that he's now saying he's non-binary. Um, but basically, his father was um, interviewed um, by CBS 8, a TV station um, in the US. 
his name is Aaron Brink. Anderson actually changed his name because he's he doesn't talk to his father and hasn't for many years. But um, his father was was caught by a TV crew the other day and said some really horrible things. Basically, that he was relieved when he found out. First of all, he said, well, "Yeah, we, we'll, we'll play, play the, the clip." Play the clip. Uh, and also, we, we should perhaps say that the, the father it turns out as well. He's a mixed martial arts coach and he's a former adult porn star. So anyway, let's hear this. There was a shooting involving you know, there were multiple people, right. and then I found later on, on to find that it's a, a gay bar. Yeah, right. And, uh, and I was like, oh my god, is he gay? As a scare, I was like, oh my god, shit, is he gay? Hmm. And he's not gay, so it's like, it's, 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 well, you guys had had conversations about that. You, you were, oh yeah, I was like, you, you, I was you adamant, yeah, you were adamant that gay is gay is bad. I'm a Mormon. I'm a conservative Republican, and we don't do gay. We don't do gay. Yeah. I can't get answers from the attorneys, really, but they're saying that somebody's you know, it's involved in a gay bar or some shit. I don't know. Um, I don't know what the heck he did at a gay bar. Um, I don't know what's going on. Well, he's accused of going on a mass shooting at a gay bar and killing five people. Colorado's. Okay, well, well, that's how shit. I'm accused of doing that. I, I, I'm surprised not gay. I don't know, I say that, but he's not gay. <laughs> So clearly what's more important to him is that his son is not gay rather than the fact that he's murdered five people. It's an incredible outlook on like life that you're more relieved that your son is a mass murderer but not gay. No, and this man as well, obviously you've, he's had a colourful CV but he's also a recovering meth addict so that, not that that excuses his homophobia and that's horrendous to listen to but he's clearly, I think, quite vulnerable and possibly should not have been filmed but these views are just... I mean, they're just obviously awful to hear. Um, and at the start of that interview as well, he also said he was surprised that his son was still alive because his ex-partner had told him that Anderson had died by suicide several years ago because he hated his father so much as what his ex-partner had said. So it seems like there's a lot of very um, you know, complex dynamics at play here. Just before we finish, Orla, you're here from the journal.ie, but you're also the person behind Ireland's number one podcast at present. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, please. Yes, Redacted Lies is a six-part documentary series that explores um, the lives of people who pass through Ireland's mother and baby home system, either as mothers or children. So be it, you know, mother and baby homes, county homes, industrial schools, and the ongoing impact that has on their lives. Um, so many mothers, including a couple we interview in the documentary, they're, you know, 40 or 50 years later, they're still looking for their children. So it has had huge ramifications and continues to do so. So after the commission's report, you know, a lot of them felt like their, their voices were ignored and they weren't listened to. The series aims to, you know, put them back in the spotlight and let them tell their own stories and their own voices and their own words. Because we've been criticising other countries for their failure in relation to human rights, but we have our own issues as well. We have we? massive issues here that were kind of swept under the carpet for a long time and we're going to have a reckoning one day or another. Okay, look, we leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us on the week trending. Orla Ryan, news correspondent with the journal.ie, and Ben Finnegan from the 5 of 5 and 6 at 6 here on The Last Word at Today FM from our Today FM newsroom. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4 30.